Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Real Deal Talk. And today, this guy, you know we've got a big guy, someone huge in the studio when he brings his own production company. Today we've got like, I, I, I lost count at like seven cameras in here. Spencer, what do we got, like on eight cameras? So, <laughs> Jeff Fenster, ladies and gentlemen, CEO of Everbowl, founder of 14 companies, 39 years old. This dude is crushing the game. But what we're going to do is, as you know, we're going to get into how we're, how did Jeff get to this day? Because everybody thinks that people that are successful, that we just had it easy. Like, oh, they're so lucky, right? Oh, gosh, I wish I were them. No, 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 you don't, because you don't know what we went through to get here. So Jeff Fenster, founder of 14. I'm going to keep it simple, because we're going to get into a lot more of his credentials along the way. And um, give me give me one, though. You said you were CEO of the year. What, what was it? Give me, the, give me a couple things, Jeff. Um, Ernst & Young called me CEO of the year. Wow. Entrepreneur of the year by uh, Business Insider. Some wow. fun awards. Yeah, some fun awards. Just some fun awards. Recognition of a good team behind me. There you go. And guys, listen to me. When you're going to the top, there's one of the main things you got to you got to stay humble, right? Remember, don't forget where you came from, right? Number right. one, stay humble, um, kick ass. But you know what? It's like when you put in the work, which I can't wait to kind of dig in your backstory. As you guys know, how I do it, I just I get to know my guests on the fly, on the air. We started having a conversation before this. I'm like, no, 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 don't tell me anything. I know a little bit about Jeff, um, but we're going to get into it because I want all of the listeners and the people that know Jeff already that think they know him, they're going to really know him after today or after this interview anyway. So first, though, let's get a quick uh, word from our sponsor, which is also my company, Real Deal Sleep. So ladies and gentlemen, if you're a fan of the show, first and foremost, I want to thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for listening, for watching. You have no idea how much it means to me when you guys give me feedback, when you send me a DM, when you see me uh, out and about, when you see me at the church and you give me any single bit of positive feedback. I'm just telling you, it means the world to me. <clears throat> I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Thank you so much. But if you want to kind of support the show on a financial basis, uh, Real Deal Sleep, our parent company, pays the bills here at Real Deal Talk. So realdealsleep.com, we do a high-end level sleep system, zero gravity, every type of technology, natural sleep systems, Tempur-Pedic stuff like memory foam, you name it. You can go to the website, per sheets, pillows, you name it. Um, if you want to book an appointment with me, go to the website, click the chat bubble. You can book an appointment with me. I'll set you up. If you have anything, issues like snoring, apnea, reflux, I can take care of all, literally all of that. So Real Deal Sleep pays the bills, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, if you want to support the show financially, come down and, and, and get some stuff from us, all right? So there you go. All right, back. Well, actually, if yeah. I can add one thing. Yeah, please. So walking through your showroom as I was coming in, you know, I don't think enough people put enough uh, importance on sleep. Yeah. And we take it for granted, even though we spend a third of our life in our bed. And if you don't sleep good, you don't feel good. And so I highly recommend you come down and meet JD over here at Real Deal because he has a complete selection of all the high-end stuff. And he'll help you identify. I mean, we were just chatting and he already made me rethink my sleeping program. Yep. So I'm going to spend some time with JD. I recommend you do also. And see, and guys, I didn't even, he, I didn't tell him to do that. And he didn't tell me he was <laughs> going to do that. A third of your life is spent sleeping. Right. That one third of your life dictates the other two thirds of your life. Literally, sleep is the foundation of health and wellness. Thank you, Jeff. That's a great segue. We just, you just fired that up, bro. Um, and it's everything. So literally the most important purchase you can make in your life, it's literally the most important purchase is the thing that you are sleeping on. And I can I can dial you in big time. Thanks for that, Jeff. I appreciate that. All right, so Jeff, let's go. Let's get down here. So Jeff, let's uh, let's go back. All right, you, we don't have to go because you're so young. We don't have to go. <laughs> we don't have to. And, and before he was telling me he's hitting forties, he's a little concerned about it. I'm like, bro, come on. Two weeks, man. Forty, like you're just getting started, dude. Like you're just getting started. All right. 
So we don't have to go far, that far back with you because you're so young. Uh, but where were you born and raised? San Diego. Really? Yeah. Actually, I didn't even know that. Your home where you live now. Scripps Ranch. Scripps Ranch. Get out of here. Yeah. I didn't know this. That's right. Where did you go to? Uh, where did you go? Do you know every elementary school? Jerebeck Elementary. Jerebeck. Yeah, that's right. No way. Wagenheim because we didn't have middle schools in in Scripps back then. Oh. Wow. So I did middle school in Mira Mesa, and then they opened the high school, Scripps Ranch wow, High School. No kidding. Yeah. All right. So talk to me about childhood. Brothers, sisters, parent. How were the parents? The uh, uh, they were together. They weren't. Give me the whole scenario here. First American born. My family moved here from Montreal, Canada mm. uh, after my sister was born. So I'm, I'm the youngest of two. Mom was a teacher. Dad was a doctor. Family together. No, no issues. My, my sister's a judge. Um, oh, really? In Colorado. She was always judgy growing up. So judge. it makes sense. Um, and yeah, you know, conservative household, uh, you know, middle class, just how about uh, sports? Did you do sports? Oh, yeah. All yeah. Sports was my life. So yeah. baseball, football, soccer, all high-level competitive stuff. Yeah. I lived for it. What was your What was your best sport? <sighs> in my head or in real life? <laughs> in my head, it was football. But, oh, I, yeah. you know, I was a running back, but I was I was super fast. I was just yeah. little. Yeah. So, you know, I had dreams of being in the NFL. Of course. Of course. Uh, that didn't happen. Yeah. Um, but probably my best sport was baseball. I, I, I was going to guess that. Yeah. Just because I, I know a baseball physique. Yeah. And I could tell, I just could tell. Not saying, but then I also thought football could, because I, I could also tell you're probably super fast. I was fast and strong, but little. Yeah. You know, I was, my freshman year, I was like five, six, 110 pounds. You you outweighed me. I was five, <laughs> seven, 107. Well, now you, what do you weigh right now? About 230. Okay. Yeah. I would love to go back and play at this yeah, size. You, you'd kill people. Oh, my God. <laughs> I got to 185 junior year, and I was. I was uh, punishing some people at that at that weight. Middle linebacker. Yeah, uh, I, I was one of the linebackers. I was called the monster monster man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the intimidator. I couldn't imagine going back at this size. Yeah. I mean, could you imagine, dude? Oh, anyway, all right. Look, look at us reminiscing back in the old days. <sighs> all right. So uh, okay. So baseball best. Now talk to me about um, parent. How do they like? Were you like? How were the parents in the home? Were they loving? With give me some. I always very like, strict. I always like to go there because. It's not an accident that you've become this successful guy that's extremely disciplined. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget the talk. This is how I met him, guys. Is, uh, he was at a Pathfinder uh, conference. He spoke. And I remember you talking about becoming 1% better every day. Like, just just 1%. Because too many people, I think, Jeff, that th you get overwhelmed at growth and having to grow so much. Just Just 1%, right? Well, it's obtainable. The reason we fall yeah. off is because we have big, audacious goals. We have big goals for ourselves, big dreams. And we don't get the results fast enough and we stop. And when you have such a huge target, like I want to run a marathon, but yet I'm out of shape on a couch, it's not realistic. Right. It doesn't mean you won't get there. It just means we won't get there tomorrow. And so when we remove the time frame from it, we can hit every goal we ever want and success is formulaic and everybody can achieve everything they ever wanted and be the best version of themselves and achieve all that success. Kaizen, 1%, that's obtainable, right? 1% more than what I did yesterday is easy to digest. It's easy to do. And when you start doing that regularly, you do something called win stacking. And when you win stack, all of a sudden, now you're building habits, you're building confidence, you're building systems, and now you believe you can do it. And when you put all four of those together, yeah. you become a rocket ship. Yeah. It's, uh, and, we're, and, we're gonna, and guys, we're going to flow on this, cause, uh, but I still want to get some more backstory. <clears throat> because um, bottom line is this, man. Like, as long as you're striving for growth every day of your life, that's it. Mm -hmm. Eventually, success will fall on you. That's as right. long as you're consistent. Yeah. And so stay with it. It's formulaic. Yeah. It, it, there's a formula for success, and successful people have figured out the formula. It's math. 
Yeah. It's just math. Just math. It's just math. Love it. Okay. All right. So strict. Talk to me about the parents. Very strict. Was, oh, what does that mean? Give it to me. So my mom and dad were both type A personalities. Okay. So it was, uh, and I grew up in a Jewish house, so I could be anything I wanted as long as it was a doctor or a lawyer. <laughs> um, and that was pretty much forced down my throat. You know, that's just the way that the culture is. Oh, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it was, had to get all A's or damn close to it. Uh, had to do sports all the time or an activity. It was, you went to school, you had an extracurricular activity, you came home, you got good grades. And if you did all those things, you could play with your friends and, and have some freedom. Um, so it was really strict. And my mom was considered, you know, the bitchy, the bitchy mom from all my friends. Oh, and, really? Oh, yeah. I mean, she was <laughs> tough. She was real tough. Oh, uh, but it's good, though. You know, now looking back, I hated it. Yeah. at the time but to your point she kept me in line uh you know a lot of my peer groups a lot of my friends growing up haven't achieved the same level of uh, professional success that i did not because i'm smarter than them but because they had probably a little less rigid yeah. uh growing up you know and and i'm fortunate for it looking back like if i can go back you know hey thanks mom appreciate it uh you know i didn't enjoy, it wasn't enjoyable but that kept me going and uh you know i got to observe my sister was valedictorian of high school i got asked to leave Scripps Ranch High School you for did? a semester. Yeah, I got caught smoking during football season and got kicked off the team. I no way. Yeah, yeah. Shut up. It was a whole thing. Come I got on. to come back, but um, it was a... Just for smoking? Smoking weed. Oh, there we go. Yeah, okay, yeah, now it's like, that's yeah. cigarettes? That's not bad. No, it was weed. And back in the 90s, that was frowned upon it's very differently than today. Yeah. Now it's like, uh, I think it's a thing. Yeah, it's legal now. Yeah, now it's legal. Now, but, now we're dealing with much worse things. But I was, I always rebelled uh, from that kind of structure. You know, I don't draw well in the lines. So for me, it was tough. It was a tough childhood mm. in the sense of I had loving parents, but we didn't get along for a lot of years. I tried to get emancipated. Really? Shut up. Yeah. I threatened to get emancipated, but then I realized I had to pay for myself and I didn't know how. So I, it all worked. You know, you, there, there was a time, honestly, my, I was so worried that my mom and dad were going to actually send me to one of those, uh, male, camps that you you know where they come in the middle of the night and they take you yes i had like a baseball bat under my bed and i had this plan in my head if someone showed up trying to take me what was going to happen so it, it, it got tough so you were you were like majorly trying to rebel yes while still getting good grades though magically so, and so what, i was rebelling with good grades what's dad doing at this point you know he like give me his role because mom obviously was the 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 total terry what, what do you call that <laughs> Um, a what bulldog. Was, a bulldog. What yeah. was what was your dad doing? Was he just say, "Hey, the, the, listen to your mother"? Pretty much. I mean, he was strict too, but it was my mom was the enforcer. He 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 might have been behind the scenes, yeah. but you know, he was a doctor working sixty hour weeks. You know, so I we we didn't really. So he went along with mom's program. They were they were yes. un, u, united force. At least in at least on the forward facing. For right. Sure. Okay. For yeah, sure. Right. Which, yeah. which is which is important. Oh, yeah. What your parents, you know, whatever you're doing with your children, you got to be united. You got to be united front in front of them. You can't be like because the kids will always go to, like my daughter comes, Dad, she'll call me from the car. Mommy's doing this. Can you? Mm -hmm. I'm like so, and I have to back mommy immediately. Yep. Of course. Well, there's a reason. What did you do? Why'd you piss her off? Like anyway, it's it's important on a side note for parenting to be uni a united front in front of your children. Oh yeah. Can't divide. Especially, I mean, it's hard. It's really yes. hard because sometimes you don't agree with what your spouse does. Correct. And you're like, oh, my God, I'm going to go with this. Not my plan, but okay, here we go. Yeah. Yeah, we, we come across that. I'm like, and then off to the side, I'm like, man, why are you, why are you doing this? <laughs> but I back her up. Yeah. 
anyway, that's another. We'll go into parenting probably too on this. So, all right, so go back. Um, all right, so strict. You, so what happened when the emanci- Did you tell him that you were going to be oh, yeah. emancipated? You oh, told him. I went and met an emancipation lawyer. Shut up. Yeah, I was like, well, hey, how old you? are you? Sixteen. <laughs> Sixteen. Yeah, I was like, I'm out of here. I can't because my mom was a one of three daughters. She didn't have any brothers, and she doesn't understand that I was. And my sister was very like open, but I'm a guy. Like the last thing a 16 year old guy wants to do is open up to mom. Right. You know, like I don't talk about my feelings. I'm 16 year old, 16 years old. And so on top of the fact that she didn't like my friends, she didn't like the fact that I got caught smoking weed. My friends were into stupid shit. Um, I had some friends get arrested for breaking into stuff. I wasn't involved, but she didn't like my friend group for the record, for the record. Yes. Uh, but no, truthfully, I wasn't involved. Um, allegedly. Yeah. (laughs) Allegedly. Um, (laughs) But as a, as a result of all that, you know, she just didn't like my friends. She didn't like my behavior. She didn't like my view. But I was like, Mom, I'm getting good grades. I play sports. Like, leave me alone. Like, I'm not getting in trouble, really, minus the smoke. For the most part. Minus the smoking. Yeah, incident. just a little weed. Nothing, I mean, not going to hurt anybody. I, I was experimenting. Yeah. It was 16 years old. It's part old. of life. It is. So, you know, there was that. So I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't need to be in this house. Like, I'm a man. I can take care of myself. I'm, I'm out of here. And it doesn't really work that way because you, you're 16. You don't realize that you have to pay bills. You have to do all this stuff. So it didn't end up working that way, but for about a good year and a half, me and my folks really didn't, really didn't chat much. What, what did, so when you, when she heard, when you told her you were doing this, what was her reaction? Like, yeah, good luck. Have no, fun. it was tears, screaming. Oh, really? Know. Oh yeah. It was, I mean, she's a loving mom. She yeah. loved me yeah. more than anything. Right. And that's why she was doing everything she was doing. So it came from a good spot. Um, and I, I was more of the dumbass than, than, you know, if I can go back, it was yeah. mostly me. So so now, um, how's your relationship with her now? Awesome. Well, yeah, it's amazing. Like, is, how proud is she? Very. Is she very proud? Yeah. Even she, though you didn't become a doctor and a lawyer. Well, I did go to law school. Oh, you did? No, no. It's just uh, all right. Hold on. Don't yeah. jump too far. Yeah. Don't jump too far. Wait okay. a minute. Let's okay. go back to where were we in elementary? I, right. I was like six years old and smoking <laughs> weed. And... <laughs> all right. So high school, but any 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 monumental events that you can remember in your childhood, like an elementary, middle school, friends, bullying, um, anything with sports that you had, in, like where you gained, when did you gain confidence? Did you have confidence as a kid your whole life? I did. I had a uh, small dog syndrome. Okay. So, give it to me. You know, I was, like I said, I was a small little guy. Yeah but with a big confidence problem. So I got into a lot of fist fights in high school and middle school. Just, I didn't like bullies and I didn't like people bigger than me trying to pick on other people. So in a way I was kind of like, oh yeah, well, I'll show you what's up. Um, and felt like I had a lot to prove. Yeah. So I walked around with like a chip on my shoulder. And what was the main reason for the chip on your shoulder, you think? I don't know. I really you were just know. you were smaller? I was smaller, a small, small little, small little so dog. You, chip. you ever seen that picture yeah. of like the little dog screaming up at the big dog? Yep. That was me. That was you. That was me. And so then you had, so you were pretty confident very early on. Very. Wow. And very confident in myself. Uh, my grandfather, my mom's dad, he was a professional boxer. So uh, he showed me some things yeah. and he was always in my ear. And um, I had just, I, I just knew, I saw my, I, I had enough self-confidence to know I knew how to do what I needed to do. And if you were going to bully me, we'd have a problem. If you're going to tell me what to do, we were going to have a problem. Hence the issues with my parents as a kid. Um, but that's, that's part of being a teenager. Yes. You know, especially back in the nineties when in the nineties is different. Yeah, totally. No internet, no smartphones, no, no, no information. I mean, your whole access to information in the eighties and nineties was whatever your parents told you, whatever was in that encyclopedia Britannica collection (laughs) that was sitting on some shelf in someone's house and whatever a teacher told you. 
That's so it. You could tell me that Australia was connected to Japan, and if I didn't look it up, I'd be like, okay, yeah, like, that's where it is. Isn't that incredible. Yeah. Like, 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 especially texting because now it's like, I'll I'll spend like an hour texting twenty five people, coordinating mm-hmm. logistics, facilitating, setting people up, hooking up things. Like, how did we do without this? I, I was telling this to my oldest daughter. She'd be like texting me, where are you, dad? I'm like, I'm four minutes away. I'll be right there. Yeah, yeah, that's what my daughter like, does. Back in my growing up days, if I told you I was going to meet you somewhere, you know what you did when you got there? You sat and waited and hoped I showed up. You had no way to call me. I had no way to answer. I had no phone device on me. So if I didn't show up for 14 minutes or 44 minutes, you just wait. Yeah. that's it. Just wait. Yeah. Oh, I wonder if he's coming. Yeah. My, dude, my daughter does the same thing. Like, I'll get the, dad, where are you? Yeah. Like like over and she'll and she'll keep calling yes. five minutes later. Where I'm on my way, I'll be there in ten. There's cars in front of me and there's streetlights. Like <laughs> I'm on my way. And then I'll say, okay, I'm on. No, but where are you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, dude, that's so funny. Huh. Um, yeah, but how did we how did we conduct business without this? You know, how just, did how did we do that? I just don't understand. We were less productive, for sure, right? And and also we had to figure shit out. We had to figure it. Yeah, out. to make it happen. I mean, when I was delivering pizzas in high school, I had a Thomas guide. You know, yeah. Oh, I'm going to this house. It's on page 14 C six. Like you were playing battleship. Now it's like, if I, like yesterday I drove uh, to go pick up my son from the neighbors. Uh, I I hadn't been in this house before. It's in the same community that we live in. And I, I'll, I'll use GPS if I have to go around this to this because my brain when I'm driving, I'm just in a auto zone. I can't remember how to get anywhere. There's no need to anymore. Yeah. There's no reason. So I just put the GPS on for everything. Me too. And so I put in the GPS 0.4 miles away yeah. was the house. Yeah. And I had to, and I needed it yeah. to take the, the first, anyway, get, not getting it. And remembering so, phone numbers? I used to know oh, everybody's yeah. phone yeah. number. Now, now I don't even know my daughter's phone number. Yeah. I don't even know my own. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, okay. So um, you always had competence. Yes. Anything else have like in high school, like uh, a teacher that had a, um, uh, inspired you? Like when do like, was there any entrepreneur mindset at all in high oh. school, or were you just strictly, okay, I'm going to law school? No, I didn't even know about law school. No, I, uh, so what I did do a good job of is I had a lot of good relationships with older people. Mm. And so I had a lot of mentors, and I got to That's intern great. at a lot of companies. So uh, David Meltzer actually is a close family friend. He had a whole host of companies. And so in, when I was 15, I worked for one of his companies. Really? At 17, I worked for one of his companies. At 19, I worked for one of his companies. Okay, um, hold on. This when is I say great. work, I should say I interned. Interned, yeah. You yeah. didn't pay me, so. Um, All right, so go back. How did you form these? Because you would think that because of your chip mm-hmm. and because of the rebelling with your authority figure mother, yep. we'll call her that, um, how did you possibly build relationships with people like that? Well, my mom and his mom are best friends and work together at the same school. Uh, so when I was four, he used to come watch me play. And five and six, he used to come watch me play Little League and babysit me. And I used to go watch him play high school football. And so when I was rebelling, he was kind of like my big brother. And he used to tell my mom, like, oh, I'll take him under my wing. I'll, I'll straighten him out. He's a good kid. He's just rebelling. So he was kind of my liaison. And he looked out for me. He was, he was literally, literally like a big brother. So I devote a lot of time and energy. And I got to see and get exposed to a lot. And I was one of those kids that I couldn't wait to be an adult. Mm. I was always wow. looking for the future. Like, yeah. oh, I can't wait to be 18 and get out of this house. I can't wait to be on my own, like that whole thing. And so I got to experience and see what, not realizing it at the time, what entrepreneurship was. Because back then that wasn't a word. Right. There not. were business owners yep. and employees. And some people who start companies were just business owners. Like we, we didn't have the glorified entrepreneurship world we have now. 
I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. I didn't even know I wanted to be a lawyer or go to or be a sports agent. I had no idea what the hell I was going to do with myself. And so you created these relationships. Yes. And then at 15, you went to intern. Yeah. So he had uh, Dave. Uh, he had this company. And did he invite you? Like, how did you think to yeah, do that? Yeah, we would always be hanging out, and and he had this company where his first one of his first companies was the internet was just starting to take shape, and so he had uh, this technology which for car dealerships would show a car driving on the screen instead of like you're selling a Toyota Tacoma instead of it just being a still picture his technology was going to make the truck drive so when you're looking at your internet screen it'd be a moving car now <laughs> I know that sounds stupid today yeah, right but back then a moving car um, my the car moving. moves. it wasn't just like a, a digital magazine yeah it actually moved and so I started calling on car dealerships all around San Diego to say hey we have this technology. We can make your vehicles drive. And so it's a moving, basically a moving advertisement. Um, and then from there, he had a few other companies, uh, one called PCE Phone, where he was the CEO of, of the first smartphone. Oh, wow. So I got to, you know, move boxes in the office, et cetera. He had another company called Corporate Connections, um, another company where he invited high-level CEOs and CFOs to these small, intimate conferences. And I would go be the runner, like, hey, you need some coffee, you need some water. But what I was doing, not knowing at the time, and what he was doing for me was introducing me to a lot of smart successful humans yeah so i got to watch them and i also got to build relationships with them and i always had a good personality i always had a ton of friends so making friends was easy for me and i just did it everywhere i went and so i had this big group of champions for wow. me even though wow. i was a pain in the ass at home yeah i was also very not a pain in the ass out of the home that's why i was asked that question because yeah. that doesn't make sense well that's how you know that's part of being raised was in my house i could be a total dipshit in the house yeah but if i acted out in front of public even when I was like four, like it was hell to pay. Yeah. And same with my kids. Like that's the way we, you know, if you need to let loose a little bit and throw a temper tantrum, you do it in the confines of the house. But when we're in public, like get your shit together. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Keep so, it up. Wow. That's incredible. And, and you know, we know yeah. like the number one formula to become successful is to surround yourself with people yep. who are successful in business. It's so you the, had that as a kid. It's the elevator. I mean, yeah. if you want to know the secret, I mean, my first, my first rule my first core value, my first business rule, my first success principle is make friends. Make friends. That's it. Very simple. Like if you ask me, my, I mean, I have five specific core values. I live by them. I think I spoke yep, about them at the, at the conference. Yep. Um, I preach it to everybody because that's my success formula. It's how I have been successful at every company I've ever been a part of, both as an employee as well as an entrepreneur, is following my five core values, my five business principles. Rule number one, yep. without fail, is make friends. You ask any employee that works at any of my companies, what's the first rule to work here? It's make friends. Love so it. You make friends. And, and I vote, I've preached uh, to become massively successful, you have to be a like a master networker. Same yep. thing. Same thing. Same yeah. thing. Master networker. We're just saying Connecting. It. Yep. You got to connect with as many people as possible. And my first book, which is uh, actually going to be launched in April, is is actually called Relationship Bank Account. And it's on how I used making friends and networking wow. to elevate all my companies, grow, and I teach a lot of people how to do it. Um, and it's based on a course, which I'll do a little plug for LinkedIn because yeah. I got hired by LinkedIn to do two entrepreneurship courses. Um, it's all available on LinkedIn Learning. So if you're a premium member of LinkedIn, it's free. If not, shoot me a message. I'll send it to you for free so you don't have to pay for it. But it's on how to build, leverage, and grow your relationship capital and use it successfully because most people don't know how to do it. Correct. They misunderstand what make friends means right. and they misunderstand how to network. But if you do it effectively, it's a complete elevator to success. 100%. It's the shortcut. 
It's a hundred percent. I got actually goosebumps when you said that for some reason, because it's like, it's everything. Yes. But it's, it's, and it's all here for it. We all have it. Mm-hmm. We have access to it. It's just a matter of you getting out of your comfort zone. Cause a lot of people are uncomfortable. Yes. You, people like you and I, we, it's, it's our thing. It's, <laughs> it's like, it's second nature to us. We love connecting and meeting new people. Well, they also don't understand how to do it. They, they think that, oh, I need to go to someone famous or I need to go to someone I think. But what they fail to realize is everybody is someone's mother, brother, sister, cousin, aunt, uncle. One of the biggest, so when I started a payroll, one of my first companies was a payroll and HR company. One of my biggest accounts I ever got was from the checkout lady at Albertsons, her brother. And the only reason she gave me that introduction is because for a year and a half, when I was going to the local grocery store, which I had to do once or twice a week, I made small talk with her. And we got to the point where we were beyond, hey, how are you? How's your day? To how are the kids? How's your family? How's this? She eventually learned I had a payroll company through a two-minute conversation twice a week for a year and a half because I was there anyway. I was present, I was curious, and I was interested in her. And so one day, her brother had an issue with his payroll company, like a major catastrophe. And she says to me, hey, Jeff, you have a payroll company, don't you? And I'm like, yeah, as I'm checking out of a grocery store. My brother's having a lot of problems. Can I give him your phone number? I'm like, yeah. So I write down my phone number. I give it to her. He calls me. Over a 1,000 employees in his company. It was a six-figure contract for my payroll company early on. Yeah. Now, is that luck? Yes. But you know how you get lucky? Put a lot of rods in the, in the, in the water. Yes. You're more likely to catch a fish. And so I made friends. And I don't mean we went out for drinks. And I don't mean you know we hung out on the holidays. We didn't take trips together. But I made small talk friendships with someone who I didn't quantify or qualify ahead of time. I didn't know how she was going to help me. I didn't know if she was going to help me. I didn't care. I made friends with her. And you know what happens? She's now a champion of Jeff Fenster and everything Jeff Fenster is doing because there's 8 billion people on this planet. You may know 100 people very well if you're lucky. Yeah. So do the math. So if you can add one more person to that, it's exponentially going to help you. And as you go through the world, right, like after this today, I'm going to go through the world. Someone's going to say to me, hey, oh, man, I slept so terrible. You know what I'm going to say to them? Dude, you got to go talk to my friend JD, right? You're not going to pay me for that. You're not asking me to do it. But because we became friends, because I know what value to you could be, I'm now traveling the world knowing you can provide value to a friend of mine or someone I meet who needs something, and I could put two great humans together and provide benefit for you and a benefit for them. You're going to get some money and grow your business. They're going to sleep good and be a better version of themselves. And I make a deposit in both of your bank accounts because you're both going to know that Jeff set that up. And you're going to be like, damn, dude, that was really cool of Jeff. And then one day you'll be in the world and you'll find some reason to stoke me out. And we give the gift of, of, of giving and we're more interested in each other than interested in ourselves. Um, it, just, it grows. And that's the key right there, what you just said, Jeff. The end thing. The, the main thing is, and I pre, dude, I preach this all the time, this exact thing. I love hearing the way you put it, bro. It's so smooth because it's all about bringing other people value. How can yes. you bring, that's the main thing is when you meet somebody, you don't be thinking what's in it for me, what's in it for me, what can this person do for me? It's how can I bring this person value, right? And it's what I teach in my book and in my course is lead with value. That's the lead first thing I try to find out is what I can do to make, if I want to know you, first thing I want to do is I want to say, okay, what can I do to help this human? And so, okay, so you're listening to this and you go, okay, I don't have resources and I don't have relationships, so I can't make a cool introduction for JD. I can't buy one of his mattresses. I can't afford it. So how can I lead? If I saw you on the street and I had no resources and I was 20 years old, broke, and, and you know what I can do? Hey, JD, I, I really want to just be around you. Can I come help you move some mattresses one day? Can I donate my time? Because <clears throat> we all have that. Right. And you know, it's your most valuable asset. And I assure you, that's what I used to do with Dave Meltzer. I wanted to be around him. I couldn't help him actually because I knew nothing. 
Um, I added no real value other than I would be his his bitch boy. I'd, I'd go there and I'll, I'll grab coffees. I'll be in the room. And you know what? You do that enough times, you get to know the people in the room. Yeah. And then you become invaluable. You and do. When you, and when you become invaluable and now you've do- donated that time. I mean, so fast forward, I did all that, what I call learning instead of earning in my high school teenage years when all my friends, you know, I was working jobs too, but I would go do this and I'd get nothing for it. Nothing. Like no physical, financially, financially, right. like nothing, right. nothing tangible. And there was no social media. So I wasn't like gaining an Instagram following right. or doing any of these like tangible things. <laughs> but when I started my company and I needed to meet a bunch of business owners, Hey Dave, can you help me out, man? I've earned the right to ask for a favor. So I was the num- my only job out, out of law school was at an AD, a payroll company, ADP. I was the number one sales rep in the country and I made a quarter of a million dollars my first four months there. First to make President's Club out of 2,000 reps across the country. And everyone said, how did you do it? You know what I did? Day one, I finally got my territory. I called Dave and I'm like, yeah. hey Dave, I need to meet business owners who need payroll. Can you make some introductions? I left his office with 100 different business owners' names that I was gonna call and say, hey JD, this is Jeff. Uh, I got your name and number from Dave Meltzer. He thought I could uh, add value to you and help you out. I just started my new job at ADP selling payroll. Can we please sit down and, and see if I can save you some money or, or alleviate some per, uh, pain point? Because it was a referral from Dave, of course they took it. They were friends of his. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? Yeah. Through those, I made quarter of a million dollars in six months. So now go back. All that time I spent investing into learning instead of earning and interning yielded number one sales rep in the country, president's club, trips, quarter of a million dollars, business success. So to your point of it looks easy, yes, I paid my dues early and did the things that I'm preaching now for everyone else to do. I got the results later. So I monetized that time. It just didn't happen in the, in right. the moment. Yep. It happened after the fact. And you're, you're for sure a smart guy, but all that, the majority of it came from because you, you're one of your core values, make, make friends, friends, quote unquote, make friends. Mm-hmm. We can't stamp this in enough. Correct. We, we can't. Mm-hmm. Because uh, you know you always hear it's not what you know it's who you know. This is along those same lines, right? It's, it's everything. Nepotism, it's everything. Nepotism is real. I only hire and work with friends. Um, that's it. So I don't want to work with you for right, as friends. much as I don't want to get on this. Now, okay, get into that a little bit. Sure. Okay, because this is one that business owners. I've hired friends before. Yep. Uh, and it ended up going south. Okay, so talk to me about this uh, because Doctor Matt. Pastor Matt, you know, Dr. Matt yeah. Hubbard. Yeah. He talks about this. Like, why would you want to either go into business or work with people that aren't your friends? Correct. All right. So let's get, get, go on this a little I'm bit. in the same boat because I, I need trust and I've hired all my friends I've worked with. Uh, I've either partnered with, or they work for me or that need jobs. I would much rather work with a friend than someone else. The concern, well, if it goes wrong, it's going to ruin the friendship. Let's stop that right here for a second. What's going to go wrong. The business is going to fail. So why should that ruin a friendship? We both try our best every day. We bring integrity. Yep. We be, we bring the human being that made us friends to the job. Things go wrong. It's like being a teammate. If we right. lose the football game, do we stop being friends? No. I, I don't hate my quarterback or my my wide receiver because we lost the, the, the game. We're, we're teammates. Yeah. The only reason it goes bad is if one person didn't bring true integrity, their best effort, and they lied about what they were doing. So if you want a handout and you just want to be a drag on the company and you get fired for it, you can't hate me for that, right? That's on you. You got to have your own mirror moment. And if you're really my friend, you're not going to hold me accountable for knowing that you didn't bring your best and vice versa. If I don't deliver my part of it and you leave as a result, you have a right to be upset with me, but I bring my best every day. And so you may not love it. And I've lost friends over it. I have, 
but I now question their true level of friendship to me, which is, mm. you know, if you're really my friend, you're not going to be upset because it didn't work out. And I tell them up front, this is business. We're bringing our absolute best every day. I expect your best. I expect you to show up, make friends, have fun, and follow the same five core values that I follow. I need you to follow. If you don't want to do it, don't work with me. It's fine. There's plenty of places to go work. But if you go to my companies, all of them, you'll see that I partner with my best friend, my best friend, my great friend, my really good friends. They all work with me or for me. Um, and it makes it so I have trust. It makes it so I, I, can, I can know that when I'm here doing this, people have my back, right? And if they leave because of other opportunities, I support them. Right. You know, my, one of my best friends was my CFO. During COVID, he had to leave. And, I, you know, his wife was pregnant with their second kid and we couldn't pay him for the moment. He's like, and I could tell it was hurting him. But I was like, dude, you have to go do what you have to do. And now he's the president of the Las Vegas Aces and he's killing it. And um, wow, I'm so supportive and happy for him. I miss him. I wish he was working with me because it was fun. But I want him to be happy. He's my buddy. He's family. Yeah. I love him. So go, go be the best version of yourself. And if it's not together, it's okay. So what about the ones that, uh, the, the ones that become entitled, <laughs> that think they should be paid more? Um, and then also this has happened quite a bit is where I live a certain lifestyle. And when they're employees, they nece can't necessarily live that type of lifestyle that I live, yeah. and they resent me for it. Have I mean, you had this? Yes. What, what do you do there? Because like, it seems like a lot of them become entitled, and a lot of them resent you. I think there's some of that. Um, no one's going to outwork me. They hundred period. Like I'll yeah. show up on Sunday, Saturday, Friday, two two a.m. I travel. You know, I traveled over a hundred days last year, um, and I have wife and kids and plenty of money, and I don't need to do that but I'll still do it. Right. And I'll go serve acai bowls in one of my stores tomorrow, yep. all day. There's no job that's too good for me. I'm the director of high fives and hugs and I'll find the job that I need to do to move us forward. So to resent me for it, good luck. If you can outwork me, then you can resent me. <laughs> now, that doesn't mean they can't equal my level of, of yeah. dedication. Yeah. And it doesn't mean they won't bring a version that looks like it's equally as good and that's great. Um, so I'm not too worried about resentment because I've earned what I've earned and I have the confidence to know it. and you can take away everything from me and I'll be successful again. So in, in like my own view of myself isn't going to be rattled because someone resents me for what, you know, Yeah. I want to bring them up with me. I want them to eat at the same table. I want them to drive better cars than I do. I don't need to be better than them. I want to hire, if I hire a salesperson, I want them to make more money than me period. Yeah. Cause salespeople should, they should. I want everyone on my team to make millions of dollars. Like if they're coming in for a salary, let's figure out what we can build together so we can turn that salary into the smallest part of your income. You know, I want all of my guys and girls that work with me to make so much damn money that they can have everything they want in life. And that means I succeed. So if I don't grow the company alongside them and create that environment, that abundance, then I failed and that's on me. And then what about the people that uh, maybe aren't money, money motivated, the ones that, uh, do, do you identify those that are just, they just want to be a part of something, they sure. want to have fun, that aren't necessarily motivated, they have like even 60, 70K a year for them, that's all they need to be happy. Great. Do you identify those? Like, I mean, it's, that's fine. They don't have to be money motivated. Yeah. I'm, I'm not money motivated. I don't chase money. Yeah. I just know that a lot of people who work for me don't have my level of financial resources at this point. And they're struggling. They're stressed. Yeah. I want to get that out of the way. Right. And I want them to drive fancy cars. You know, one, one of my sales, uh, one, one of my companies, I hired a sales manager. And he always wanted to have all of our sales reps buy the fanciest cars. And I said, why do you want to do that? 
You know, why don't you want them to save their money, invest their money in smart assets, grow it? And he used to say, because a hungry dog hunts best. And if they have big bills to pay, they're going to show up hungry and work harder. I didn't agree with that. Um, that's not what I'm after. Yeah. I want my team to be financial, financially wealthy and invest properly. Um, but I, in order to give, you have to have. And this is something that took me a while to learn. Yeah. Um, most people think, oh, you know, you got to be selfless first. No, you have to be selfish first. If you don't make enough money mm -hmm. to pay your bills and have the fun and make the investments that you need to make personally, you can't donate to those charities. You can't give your time to this, that, and the other. You can't go the extra mile because you're worried about paying the damn bills. Right. I don't want anyone on my team worrying about paying bills. I don't want anyone on my team being so stressed that they're not bringing their best version of themselves because they're worried about right. all these other things. I want them to look at the project we're after, the mission that we're after, and say, I'm on this mission 100%. I'm, we're winning the Super Bowl, yeah. whatever the Super Bowl is in our respective, you know, objective. Yeah. And we need to get the fruit of that. I want them to work hard, play hard, and win hard. And that's all part of the, the deal with me. And so I try to bring them up. I can't, I'm not going to give handouts, you know. Yeah. It's not like, oh, well, Jeff, just give me money. That doesn't help that. anybody. It doesn't help me either. And I wouldn't have integrity on my own side, right? So we all do that. And so that's the goal. Um, friends, though. If we're not friends, we're not going to work together. And, and that I, doesn't mean that I won't meet somebody new who I don't know and hire you. Of course I will. But the intent is we're going to build a relationship. Yeah. We're going to become friends. I don't want it to be like, oh, I, I, I keep an arm's distance in case I have to fire you. If I have to fire you, you it's because you fired yourself already. I, I didn't do it. I don't have a mean-spirited bone in my body. Like I'm not like, oh, spiteful. I want to fire. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't fire people. And you, um, you, you said it, you, you put it well there. Like, you know, like, let's say it does go south, like, and they're either resentful mm -hmm. or entitled. How good of a friend were they? Correct. It's almost like a friend tester. Sure. Because honestly, if they don't appreciate the fact that they're joining a company I started, I took a lot of risk and a lot of financial risk and personal risk to do it. If they join the company and they don't give their best, they took me for granted. I right. didn't do anything to them. They did. They're the ones who are actually being the wrong friend in this group. And they're saying, hey, <laughs> yeah. I don't respect your company. I don't respect your name. I don't respect the fact that you maybe have investors. I don't respect the fact that your family's well-being is, is on the line here. I took a job with you, and I just kind of showed up, didn't really care. Yeah. Who's the asshole? Exactly. Right? Yeah. It's hard for everyone to look at that, and so I don't have any concern about it. I love it. I love, I love my friends more than anything. I'll do anything for them. Loyalty is literally tattooed on my back. Love it. Um, but Love it. loyalty is a two-way street. Totally. Yeah, it's an interesting ride, you know, when it comes, when it, when the friends get involved. Yes. But you know what, now that you're talking about it like this, I'm, you know, I'm kind of reminiscing on mine. It's like, how good of a friend were they at that, you know? Because, mm -hmm. and anyway. All right, so let's go back to, we're not finished with high school. Yeah, we're still in high school. We're still in high school. Or you're still in high school. <laughs> and I got the clock. I'm watching the clock. This will be uh, one of my shortest interviews ever, but we're getting a lot in here, bro. You're already, you're already hitting us with some crazy pearls here. All right, so high school. Coming out of high school, what was the goal? Like, how did you know? You said you went to law school. Well, first I went to undergrad. You went to undergrad? Yep. So I went to University what was of Arizona. The, give me the end of high school. Like, how did you know? Did the parents say, you have to do this? Like, um, give me the scenario there. So my senior year, I, I mean, I wanted to go to college. You uh, did? I did, yep. Okay. Um, I wanted to go to college. I wanted to have the collegiate experience. Um, I wasn't sure where I was going to go. So I applied to a bunch of schools, uh, got into University of Arizona, which was one of the 
choices that I wanted to go to. And so I, I got to go to University of Arizona, be a wildcat, bear down. Um, yep. Didn't know what I was going to do with myself. So I went there with a business degree or business major in mind, switched a hundred times, ended up majoring in regional development, which is basically um, <coughs> Sim City, the game or yeah. real estate, like yeah. why things are developed where they are. And um, that was going to be my focus. I was going to flip houses or get into the real estate world. Okay. Like I, I had, I couldn't see myself doing one thing forever. Like I, I didn't know, but, um, while I was in college, I boxed and I did my grandfather, uh, my grandfather always wanted a son and always, I was his oldest grandson and he was a professional boxer. So I boxed at university of Arizona and got my face punched in a few times too many, yeah. uh, alleviate a lot of that, uh, little dog syndrome oh, yeah. on my shoulder. Realized really quickly what short arms and five nine stocky guy. Uh, what that means in boxing is you get punched a lot a by lot. six two thin people Long who weigh the same. Yeah, um, and realized I wasn't meant to be a boxer, but got that out of the out of the genes, you know, out of out of the system. And you know, I uh, realized my second year of college that I was tired of college. Um, the parting was fun, but I was ready to go make some money because what I had done in high school by being around all these business people and all of them, I was watching them all make this money and I was this broke college kid living on $300 a month and eating, you know, hot pockets and ramen and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I wanted to get into the real world and make money. So, um, I went home and at this point my relationship with my parents was solid and I was like, Hey dad, like, you know, I know I'm second year's almost done, but I don't know if college is for me. Like I don't need the degree to do what I think I want to do. Um, he's like, begging me like just just finish just finish so i said okay you know what i'm gonna finish early so i i did summer school that summer and i finished in three years graduated at 21 and didn't know what i was going to do with myself still um realized that i didn't have the i I, the thing i didn't realize being naive was you need some capital to start ruin real estate i didn't have any and so i applied i enlisted in the marine corps and i applied to law school so I applied to 10 law schools. When I enlisted in the Marine Corps, I told them I'm applying to law school. If I get into law school, I'm going to do that. And so I had my enlistment date. I did the ASVAB. I had my. I was going to be a special police for the Marines. Um, I was set to deploy on July 13th, uh, 2004. And um, I got accepted to a law school in Miami called St. Thomas Law School mm. and, and one in Orlando called Barry Law School. Every other law school told me, sorry, kid. Really? Yeah, every single one. Um <laughs> And I was like, okay, do I really want to go to the East Coast? I don't know anybody. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do law school. That's the plan. I'm going to go be a sports agent because I love sports. And that's what I figured. I was like, I'll be the next Jerry Maguire. I can see myself doing I'm good in sales. I'm personable, sports related. I'll make money doing this. This will make me happy. Let's go do that. So I accepted law school. did my first year in Miami. I wanted to go to San Diego. And I realized if you finish top 10% of your class, you can transfer. And what's interesting about law school is they fail out, especially these bottom tier law schools. Yeah. They fail out the bottom 30, 40%. And it's not like college where it's like, oh, here's a multiple choice exam. If there's 10 questions and you get nine out of 10 right, you get an A. It's 90%. No, no, no. The way law school works is if there's 10 questions, uh, 10, 10 questions on an exam and 50% of the class gets nine out of 10 and 30% of the class gets 10 out of 10 and 20% gets eight out of 10, which should be a B, guess what? They fail. Yeah, it's not a it's not a wow. B. It's an F. So you're actually competing with everybody else in your scale, class. right? Is that called it's scale? A, correct. Yeah, and it's a competition, which means now you're competing with every single one of your classmates. Because if you get an A, that's one less A available. It's not like everyone can get an A. Uh, so they're weeding out the bottom thirty percent of these bottom tier schools. So it was very competitive. So I go to law school. I'm 21 years old. Don't know a soul. I'm in Miami, which is a great place to be 21. Oh yeah. The average age of law school is like 27. 
mostly older people go to law school. Right. So I don't really have any friends because I'm this 21-year-old kid, no nobody. Um, never really been the greatest student. I mean, I got good grades, but I wasn't like valedictorian like my sister. I was, you know, okay at school. And um, I just bunkered down and said, you know what? I'm going to transfer back to San Diego. I'm going to do this. Kicked everyone's ass, finished top 10% of my uh, class that first year. Transferred back to San Diego and uh, went to Thomas Jefferson School of Law here in San Diego and finished up with a degree at 24 with wow. a plan to go work at Lee Steinberg Sports Agency. Um, actually, David Meltzer became the president of Lee Steinberg Sports wow. Agency. So you see how these relationships yes. end up working really well for you. And my third year of law school, I ended up meeting the woman who's my wife and uh, had a daughter and realized I didn't want to travel the world representing grownups. I wanted to be a dad. I wanted to stay locally and actually be able to be an engaged father because being a sports agent means if you're not committed to your your talent yeah you're not a sports agent right right like you have to do that you're at their beck and call all over the world 24 7 24 7 they have an event in singapore you're in singapore and it doesn't matter if it's your kid's birthday it doesn't matter if it's your kid's graduation like what matters matters and so Graduated law school, six figures in law school loans that I took out on my own because my parents paid for undergrad but wouldn't pay for grad school, and um, which I thought was fair. So here I owe six six figures in debt and a law degree and no idea what I was going to do with my life still. And I'm 24 years old with a fiance and a daughter. And wow. so I got that job at ADP selling payroll. Oh, that's when you got that job. That was my only job I ever had is I needed a job. So yeah. I, I got a job. So I went there and I, as I told you, I, I leveraged my relationship capital and was able to be the number one sales rep in the country. And I got all these awards, all this recognition, um, these trips, I got a free trip here, was going to get a free trip to Monaco and made six figures in four months, bought a house in Mira Mesa, my first house. I was 20, you know, 24, moved my fiance and daughter in. We had a wedding date planned and I'll never forget. It was January of 2008 and I hit what were the annual goals. So if I sold a certain amount of payroll, I was going to get a $17,000 bonus in my pay. So I was making $38,000 base, which is nothing. Nothing, yeah. Um, so I was all commission-based pretty much. And I was going to get an increase in my commission tier. So I was like, awesome. So I finally hit these annual goals. And I hit it in December. I didn't say anything. But in January, I went to my boss. I'm like, hey, you know, I hit this. I hit these goals in December. When am I going to see the increase? And they said, oh, those are annual goals. You'll get it next fiscal year. The fiscal ends in June. You'll get it in July. And I was uh, like, wait, 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 what? And they're like, yeah, yeah, these are annual goals. Our fiscal goes from July to June. You started in, I started the job in July. I was on quota in August. And by December, I had hit it. And I was like, I hit it already. And they go, yeah, but Jeff, those are annual goals. Like no one really does what you did there. Like we, we're, we think it's awesome. We're so happy. But these are annual programs. So we're a big company. Like every July 1st, it'll start over. And I was like, no, 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 no. That's not going to work for me. Like I have loans. I just bought a house. I'm getting married. I have a kid. I want to go make some real money here. I can't, I can't keep doing this. And they're like, Jeff, you're making good money. Just relax. Just wait, play the game. I'm like, I'm not here to play the game. I'm here to kill it and make my money. So I went home and I told my fiance about it, Brittany. And I said, listen, I can't stay here if they're not going to pay me. And she goes, well, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I don't know, but I just can't do it. So I think I'm going to quit. And she said, what are we going to do? I'm like, what if I start my own company? I know how to sell payroll. Like, I'll just start my own. And she goes, how are we going to pay the bills? I'm like, we'll move in with my mom and dad. And luckily she was supportive. And so I went into ADP the next day and I went into my manager, Ashley's office. And I said, either give me my, my bonus or I'm going to quit. And she went upstream, spoke to her manager because she didn't want to lose me. I was her, yeah. her golden child. And um, things kept happening. And finally they came back two days later and said, sorry, Jeff, like, we, we just can't do it. 
and they wow. called my bluff. So I quit, sold my house, moved my fiance and daughter into my parents' house, go back into the lion's den, if you will. Um, we have a good relationship now. So the strictness was gone and she was a much better, uh, nicer grandmother yeah. than she was yeah. mother. Let me tell you, like Aww. their rules were all gone with my, I used to look at her and go, mom, how are you letting my daughter get away with this? Like you would have killed me for this stuff. That's so funny. But dude. she's like, no, it's different. So anyway, <laughs> so that's how I got thrust into entrepreneurship was over 17 grand and a, and a bad boss. Otherwise I'd probably still be at ADP or something. Can and you imagine? No. That crazy. 17 grand with a yeah. company that probably brings that in in a day. Oh, they do billions. I mean, they're international. Yeah. I mean, they're like one they, of the biggest like they couldn't in the world. afford it. No, of course they could. They didn't, they just, no one had the authority. Isn't that crazy? It, it's stupid. It's stupid. It's and they stupid. lost their number one. And I would have made them millions of dollars. Millions. Millions. 17. Because I, I built my own payroll company. Instead, I, I took millions of dollars from them. All right, so get so hit me with that real quick. So you give me the give me the beginning stages of that. So uh, I convinced I got my buddy a job, one of my best friends a job at ADP selling payroll. So I said his name was Brian. I said Brian, quit your job and come start this with me. And he kind of was like, I, I don't know about that. I'm like, yeah, come on, man. So eventually I convinced him to quit it, quit the job and come over. And so out of my mom's kitchen, we started a company called iChecks. And my sole mission in life was to go. If you had ADP, you were going to be my client. That's it. It was fuck ADP was my mission. <laughs> that was it. It was like a chip on my shoulder again. It was like, I'm coming after you. And since um, one out of every Did you five, sign an NDA or anything? Like, could you not compete? No, it didn't no, matter. I was an employee. I just was okay. a bottom sales rep. So um, I wasn't supposed to steal my own clients back. So I didn't. I did not steal my own clients back for the record. They voluntarily called me once they go. knew I was a payroll company. Um, but I made friends with my clients. Going back to rule number there one, it is. I make friends. So the friendship was there, and I take care of my clients. There it's it never been a transactional sale. So if I sold you payroll here at Real Deal, um, I would say to you, you know, hey, JD, if you ever have a problem, here's my cell. You call me. You don't have to call the 100 number. I'll be the guy who will handle it for you. And if you did, I really did go go to bat for you. So when it came time for me starting my own company, the people who were like, ah, Jeff, do you know what you're doing? Or, hey, I'm really comfortable with this. I said, listen, if it doesn't work, I, I know ADP so well. I know every sales rep there. I will walk you back to them. I will make sure you are taken care of. But I'm just asking you to have a little faith and put a little trust in me and give me the opportunity to do for you what I did for you at ADP. And I'll save you a bunch of money. And yeah, how, how are you going to turn that out? They didn't. So, yeah. um, and then fortunately, what which played in my favor, and it's weird to say this, this is how you turn uh, disaster and opportunity. The Great Recession happened. So I started my company yes. in February of 08, and by May of 08, we're now in a financial crisis. So That's right. my timing was, you know, terrible. Um, but fortunately, because I leaned into saving people money, now all of a sudden I had a I had a benefit. I had a value. Like, hey. You show me your invoice with ADP, I'll cut it by 40% and lock you in. How's that sound? Oh, sounds great, Jeff. And so now I started picking up clients, 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 clients. And we grew really quickly, ended up raising some private equity capital um, from Innovate Partners and Claritas Capital. Realized that we had a bigger opportunity. So instead of just selling payroll, uh, this was the digitization of the HR department. So everybody was using filing cabinets right. and paper applications, but there was this thing called the internet and smartphones were starting to become real. and apps were this thing. And so we built a uh, digital HRIS platform. So online, a human resource information system, which allowed everyone to have a digital HR department, um, use the power of the internet and computers to actually allow every different department to talk to each other and make it seamless. And things we take for granted now just wasn't totally then spun up that uh, changed the name to Canopy HR and became this big HRIS company, um, opened offices in Orange County and here clients around the country. 
and then we ended up selling that in 2011 to a company out of Florida. So that was your first uh, build and sell. First build and sell. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, how much? Did, how much you bring in on that one? Well, it was a it was a low eight figure sale. Um, oh wow! But I had private equity, so I didn't get all that money. Ah. Um. But that's okay. Ah, that's great, dude. All right. So, would you go from there? What'd you do? Um. So simultaneously to that, while that was happening, because I make friends with my clients, and here's where a lot of business owners, I love that you keep talking about this, bro, the friend thing. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's, yeah, it's the foundation. Foundation. If you don't do it, you're missing out. Yeah. Because they'll tell you what they need. You, we all have customers, right? We all have customers that we rely on um, for our business, but we don't communicate with them. We think once they sign on the dotted line and give us a check, the sale's over. Mm. To me, you, you just missed 80% of it, right? If I, if I was in your shoes, right, and I'm sure you do this too, and I'm selling beds, like these are humans I want to know forever. Yeah. Because they all know somebody, right? right exactly. And you find out what they need next, whether it's a mattress pad or a pillow or how do you expand the offering, and I'm not telling yeah. you you don't do it, I'm saying just in yeah. my own world. So. Yeah. In the payroll space during the Great Recession, I'm talking to my customers all the time. Feelers out, just little reminders. And I do notes like, oh, this is your anniversary. So I just send them a little thing. Hey, happy anniversary. Or, hey, I know they're big Padre fans and the Padres win a big game. Hey, wasn't that a great win last night? Like little things that I don't have to remember, but I put reminders in my phone. And I just reach out to friends all the time and just little notes. Just let them know I'm thinking about them. But then I started to say, hey, what are some business challenges you're dealing with during this Great Recession? Like, how are you handling this? Oh, my God, it's so hard. You know, I can't hire right now because we have these open positions, but people aren't leaving jobs. If they have a job, they're taking it, and the unemployment pool is enormous. So when I put a job rec out, I get 6,000 applicants. How do I weed through that? Mm. And I was like, I kept hearing that again and again and again. And I was like, you know what? Why don't I just start a recruiting agency and help my clients? Because the more checks that employees they have, the more checks I deliver, the more checks I deliver, the more money I make. So... A friend of mine was doing recruiting and I was like, hey, let's partner. You'd be the recruiter. I'll start the company. I have all these clients and we'll feed it and I'll offer it to all my payroll customers. So we started a recruiting agency and we predominantly worked with, now it was a value add if you worked with, with iChecks Canopy HR, yeah. you had a built-in recruiting opportunity. Well, we'll do the recruiting for you. And so we launched that and we, uh, after we sold the payroll and HR company, we sold that in 2012. And that was just like a, a little... That was my first taste of vertical integration and a little taste of uh, of another exit, and so it was cool. Um, and then in 2012, 20, into 2011, my, my oldest or youngest daughter was born, um, and I didn't want to travel anymore, and I wanted to work from a computer because I realized after the HRIS thing that computers are real. Yeah. But I, I didn't really know how to use computers very well. So I was like, I'm going to start a digital marketing agency and, again, use my power of, of relationship capital and everyone I know who I sold payroll to they all need digital marketing also, right? right? So they're my friends. Let me continue to provide value to my friends. I'm not selling my friends. I'm providing a service and helping them. The payroll service helped them. Digital marketing is going to help. And so um, I reached out to a buddy of mine named Pat Flynn who had a pretty big website called smartpassiveincome.com. And he shows on his website, and you can go check it out right now. It's still up there, and he's got a great blog and a great podcast. Um, and he talks about how much money he makes passively on the Internet. And it's yeah. a big number. And you're like, oh, that sounds kind of nice. I'll yeah. have some of that. So I call him up. I'm like, can I take you to lunch, Pat? We, we went to middle school and high school together and local guy. And we're at lunch. I'm like, Pat, I want to pay you 10 grand a month to teach me how to make money on the internet. And I'll never forget the joke he made. He's like, Jeff, it's called smart passive income. I, I, don't, I don't do that. You know, it's passive. It's not active. But you should talk to this guy, Neil Patel. I'm like, okay, who's Neil Patel? And I'm like, he laughed. He's like, you should know Neil. He's like the marketing expert guru. And so um, he's like, I'll make an introduction. So I'm like, great. So he made this introduction and I was going to have my first call with Neil. And so I Googled Neil and I'm like, oh my God, he is a 
he's a big deal. Like he's, yeah. he's a rock star. And so I was like, okay, let's think. So here's, these are the moments and I'm going to pause here because I want to articulate this. It's something I, I did very well right here and I'm not patting myself on the back, but I'm sharing with your audience right, something right. that people don't realize when opportunity is present and they always go, oh, I never got that break. We all have the break. We all, we all get the same number. You got to recognize when it is and mm. capitalize and not blow it. Right. And so I realized I had one chance to impress Neil, and I'm sure he gets a hundred Jeffs calling him all the time, wanting to get something from him or work with him. So I said, okay, his superpower is digital marketing. What's my superpower? I have a ton of friends who have a ton of businesses. Yes, huge network. Okay, I'm gonna go sell a digital marketing account before I have my call with Neil, and I'm gonna give him all the money. That's what I'm gonna do, that's my plan. So I went, I found a company that was doing about a million dollars online and about 40 or 45 million offline. Okay, a client, one of my previous clients. Yep. And I was like, you know what? A company with this kind of dichotomy is a huge opportunity because all that money is going to turn into digital, right? Yeah. Brick and mortar is going to digital. Right. It's 2012. It's still early, but it's going to happen. So I went into their office. And I said, listen, I'm going to, I started a digital marketing agency. I have a new partner, Neil Patel. I haven't spoken to Neil yet. Um, we're going to help you with your digital marketing services. Don't pay me. I want to share in the upside. So if I make you a million dollars online, I want I want a piece of it. If I make you 10 million online, I want a piece of it. So I'm going to bring you new business. You don't pay me any money. You have no risk. We're going to handle it all. When are they going to say no to that? They know me. They trust me. And they're like, okay, yeah. sure. What do we have to lose? So I was like, great. Signed on the dollar line. Had this commission structure all built in. And I guessed. I had no idea how much money we were going to make online. But I was like, listen, if I can't increase their online sales by a million dollars, then yeah. we suck anyway. So I wanted 15% of the upside. So I was like, all right, 150 grand. So I wrote a check, literally, Neil Patel's name, 150 grand. Call Neil. Hey, Neil, nice to meet you. He's like, nice to meet you. So Neil, listen, I, I'm starting my own digital marketing agency and I want you to partner with me. And I have your first check from our first client. It's 150 grand. Where do I send it? And he laughed and he's like, what? And like, we went through this weird, like, uncomfortable, comfortable conversation. And so hold on, hold on. The 150 wasn't I, actually technically there from the other guy. No, but I figured we'll get that. I just guessed. I was like, look, they're doing this much money, so I'll front it. I'll take the risk. I was going to pay Pat 10 grand a month anyway. So I'll take all the risk. That's true. There's And if, and if right you there. give me Neil's brand and my sales and network, I'll sell clients. I wasn't worried about that. So I was like, I'll pay the 150 and I'll take the risk. It's an investment. So he laughs. He laughs and he's like, he thought I was kidding. And I'm like, no, seriously. Here. So he never knew, who, he didn't know who you were at this point. We had point. never met. No, we had never met in person. Um, he just got the warm introduction from a mutual friend, okay, that right. intro. Yeah. And so finally he's like, let's meet. Like, he's like, slow down, let's let's meet. So we ended up meeting. Um, we became buddies. We ended up working together. We ended up working with some of the did biggest Did you have to give him the check? Never gave him the check. Never had to did give him the check. Did you show him the check? Like, I did, I did. And um, He's like, you're serious. But he made more money from that account with me because we ended up growing their sales by about four and a half million online. And wow. we were making 15% just off that. So. Um, we made good money, really, really, really stupid, good money. And it was fun for a couple of years. All right. Then, so hold on. The first meeting you met was yeah. like, all right, you got my attention. What's of, going on? Well, here? Of course. Yes. And then I explained to him who I was, what I'd built, all of the relationship capital I had with business owners that had yet never figured out the internet. And there was a soft spot. And because of my already built in business with, with my payroll and HR company, I had, I had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of clients, big companies. Yeah. And I'm like, Neil, I'll bring in all the business. I just don't know what to do with it once we get it. You have a team. Let me leverage your name. And there's something I talk about called the bug light concept, which is let me use you as a bug light. 
Mm. Your Neil Patel brand, anyone who Googles you is going to be impressed. I'll take all the financial risk up front. No, no cost to you. You're just getting checks. I need you to deliver yeah. and fulfill. Right. And together we'll do this and we'll be partners. And I convinced him and he said yes. And we did it. And it was great. And we made a lot of money and um, did that from 2012 to about 2015. Worked with some of the biggest websites. Uh, prior to that, I started a handful of companies that we'll, we'll say I learned. Um, I didn't, they weren't very successful, <laughs> but that's okay. You know, it's part of the process. Give, give me one story of like a disaster, not a disaster because it's always a learning sure. experience. Um, so it's a company called Equity Circle. So after my payroll and HR company, I wanted to legalize equity-based crowdfunding. Uh, so prior to 2012, I couldn't go get $1,000 from 100 people. I had to go get $100,000 from an accredited investor. Right. So I couldn't go to like my aunt or somebody's aunt who I don't know and say, hey, listen, you may not have millions, but put $1,000 into my company if you believe in me. Couldn't do it. It was illegal. It was, it was based on an act from 1923 that uh. made it all illegal. So we wanted to legalize equity-based crowdfunding and create the GoFundMe or the Kickstarter platform, if you will, for crowdfunding for entrepreneurs and business owners because access to capital was a challenge. So we did a change.org petition, got hundreds of thousands of signatures, was leading the fight, you know. We were doing everything we could to help legalize and convince the government to change it. And they were going to vote on it. And so we were lobbying, sending emails. Like, we were fighting the good fight. And we won. And they changed it. And you know what happens when you focus on the cause and not the platform? You lose to the company that was waiting for the asshole like me to oh move it. Gosh. So these other companies had these badass platforms. We're ready to go once the, once the, uh. the, sh the gun fired for the race to start. We hadn't done anything. So no. I just made a lot of people a lot of money and spent a lot of time and energy. Wow. <laughs> no but way. it's okay. It's legal now. And uh, I helped a lot of people that way. But that goes to so show So they you. were waiting. Oh, yeah. And here <laughs> I was like, oh, no one knows we're doing this. I was, I was naive. It was a mistake. Now, what if I could go back, my platform would have been top notch. I would have been ready when the, when the bell went off. But okay. So what's the main learning uh, lesson in that particular venture? Don't Maybe. die on the cause. Don't die on the cause. Yeah. Like your ideals are great, but ideals don't pay bills. Um, so people have, don't invest in ideals. Like you need to have, uh, your mousetrap has to be ready. I mean, you need right. to have okay. a product or, or service that's ready to offer. And what I should have been doing is I should have been building that platform simultaneously and I should have been using it as I was lobbying with government officials, et cetera, to understand what the rules were going to be. So I was ahead of the game. But so you basically went for all cause and okay, I cool. An, it, I became an idealist. Yeah, yeah, and it's great to be an idealist. It's just not good for business, right? <laughs> it's just not, it's just not good for business. So it didn't work out. And I had another uh, another company called J Capital where I was introducing companies to capital because I had a lot of private equity, venture capital, and and family office relationships, so I could raise a lot of money. And same thing here. So I didn't get my license, so I couldn't take a commission. I should have just gotten my license, and I would have made millions of dollars, but I didn't. And I was just trust tree. Like, hey, I'm going to make these introductions. Then you'll hire me for a consulting gig or something later, you know? Yeah. And what you find when you give people a lot of money is they don't always do what they're supposed to do. So I lost a lot of money doing that. Um, and I didn't really turn that into a good business. So that thing kind of went to the side. I had another company called sportsinvestmentsystems.com. So uh, we built this, uh, reverse engineered these algorithms for sports betting. And we had a subscription where people could pay and get, get the money and... It worked out really well. Uh, the, the picks worked out really yeah. well, but I didn't understand marketing at the time and um, didn't understand personal branding and didn't want my face on it. So I was trying to make it very like standoffish, not me, computer algorithmic based. And just again, companies that just didn't work. 
but that's okay. Yeah. I try them. They don't work. You move on. Like it's, it, You show me someone who bats a perfect record, and I'm, I'm going to show you a fictional character. Yeah, it doesn't you know, exist. It doesn't exist. It so, does not exist. So a lot of learnings along the way, and I was doing them simultaneously. Like always a little side hustle here that I would be trying. Um, so anyway, sold my digital marketing agency in 2015 and uh, was semi-retired, driving my wife and kids crazy. And my wife said, uh, I love you, but you're too high-strung a personality to be sitting around bored. So go do something you're passionate about. Like you don't need to do it for money. So go do something you really care about. And so that was the birth of Everbowl. And I started Everbowl just as a passion project. What made you think of it? I'm a bit of a hypochondriac, so yeah. I'm afraid of illness. And I think it's easier to prevent illness than cure illness. For sure. And when you look at Americans and you look at what we're dealing with today, heart disease, stroke, obesity, cancer, diabetes, hypertension, the science is saying 80% of these are preventable or delayable with lifestyle changes. Move your body, eat real food. Okay. So we know them. And sleep. And sleep. And sleep. That's right. Take care of your body. For sure. 100%. So I'm a formula guy. I like to keep it very simple. I think if success is formulaic, why would I want to venture off that? So for good health, follow the, follow the, follow the formula. Move your body, get good sleep, eat real food. Yep. So I said, okay, so why are, we, why are Americans killing ourselves? Why do we have all these diseases are growing exponentially? We're more obese than ever. We're more sick than ever. Why is this happening? <clears throat> so I did some research and I realized the average American eats fast food 3.2 times a week. Yep. I'm like, okay. You can't outwork a bad diet. Correct. So being a f- in fitness and health, like you can work out as much as you want, but if you eat like shit, it's not going to work anyway. Okay. So I could go after the fitness industry, but there's a million people fighting that good fight. I'm going to go after the food industry. Mm-hmm. I'm going to I'm going to help solve the eating crisis because we eat more often than we work out and people aren't going to I'm not going to get you to move your body as much as I'm going to I know you're going to eat today. So let's change that. So um, I used to import superfoods into my house and make them just at home, high antioxidant foods. I just did my own homework and research, and you couldn't get an acai bowl anywhere in 2016. Like, it just wasn't available. And I saw an opportunity. So I was like, all right, I'll start an acai bowl chain. And we'll see how it goes. And I knew nothing about restaurants, you know, it doesn't matter. And so I started Everbowl with the idea that I could make uh, healthy food, affordable, filling, delicious, and accessible because those four excuses are what we make Correct. every day to why we don't eat healthy. It either costs too much to eat healthy doesn't taste good. It doesn't leave me full and satisfied or I just can't get it and I'm in a hurry. So affordable, filling, delicious, and accessible. That was my mission. That's my North Star. Everything we did from that moment forward was to make healthy food, affordable, filling, delicious, and accessible. And that was the birth of Everville. Come on. Yeah. And and But it, but it, it, it was, was it a perfect start or talk to me about the start? Oh, God, no. Nothing's talk perfect. Me. Right? Nothing's I, perfect. It's funny. A guy in my life who was an investor said it. I took him to that breakfast that you were speaking. He goes, oh, my God, I know him. I almost invested in his company. <laughs> sure. So talk to me about the beginning. So I was never going to raise money. was never going to franchise. Just self-fund this thing and, yeah. and just do it myself. So I opened my first restaurant. It cost me like 300 grand. And I was like, well, that's a lot of money for one that's restaurant. Yeah. I'm like, I need to open 100 of these. That's a lot of capital. I need $30 million to go open 100 of these restaurants. Like, that doesn't make sense. So I opened the first one in Poway, uh, California, not too far from Scripps Ranch. Yeah. And... Um, I'm all excited and the day we open our doors, it's me and my employee, Ben, who I hired, my first employee, and we're sitting there and first two hours go by and not a soul, not a single person, not even a buddy who came in to try the food, like nobody. I'm like, huh, okay, crickets. Finally, What was the guy, location? Where were you? Like, right on Poway and Community Road. Okay. I mean, right on the oh, main yeah, road. Yeah, you're right. Yes. Um, it's Maine and Maine in Poway. Yeah, right there by uh, 
uh, what's, what's Chick Fil A is right next yeah, to us, uh, and the, the uh, Brigantine. Brigantine. The Brigantine is right across the street. Yeah, yeah. Yep, right there. So okay. um, about ten, we opened at eight. About ten forty-five, this guy walks in. He's looking at. I'm like, hey, hi, how are you? Welcome to Everbowl. He's like, uh, nice to nice, thanks. Yeah, what do you guys sell here? I'm like, oh, we sell superfoods, acai bowls, pitaya bowls. And he was like, okay. He's looking at the menu, and he finally looks at me. and He goes, can you just make me eggs and bacon? I was like, what? He's like, can you just make me eggs and bacon? I was like, I'm sorry, sir. I don't have eggs. I don't have bacon. I don't have an oven. I don't have a stove. We sell acai bowls. But t-. he's like, oh, okay. So I was like, hold on. Just do me a favor. Let me make you one for free. And he goes, what? I'm like, yeah, let me just make you one for free. You came in. Let me at least try it. If you don't like it, take one bite, throw it away. What do, what, what do you care? He's like, okay. So I ended up doing that. He became a lifelong customer. He loved it. Loved it. And then we did what we called friends. So I realized I had to give people free food. So uh, great business model. Just right. give, give your shit away. <laughs> so we did what we call friends and family. And I told my, my eight employees to go tell all their friends and family free food at Everbowl tonight. And we had a line around the block. A couple hundred people showed up. The whole high school football team showed up. Everyone came in because it was free. Yeah. And we just gave away free food. And then business started to turn. Oh now gosh. they've tried it. Once you've tried it, I don't have to get you to try it. If you like it, you'll come back. Yeah. And so that became our new store opening model. Every time we open a new store, we have a friends and family night. We give food to the community. And they come in, they try it, and hopefully they start coming back and... That's how we grew it. Is it because it was such a new concept that people weren't like... They didn't know what acai was. Yeah. They didn't know how to say it. A-C-A-I. Yeah, like uh, Jimmy Fallon just had a tweet. It's like the shortest word ever for the most syllables. Yeah. You know? Acai, and it's got four words. Four 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 letters. letters. Um, They didn't know what it was. Uh, It was different, right? It was not a trend yet. I mean, fast forward now, most people know what it is. Right. It's a lot easier. Now we have copycats everywhere, and we have to differentiate in a different way. Mm. Uh, But we have 60 open locations right now in 16 states across the country. We have 310 more coming that are sold. Um, 310 more coming. And I know Drew Brees is one of them, right? Yeah, so Drew Brees actually owns 150 locations. He has 150? He started with 10, then bought up to 40-ish, then 80, and then he just recently picked up uh, a bunch more and is now at 150 locations in nine states. Yeah. And because Drew Brees is local, and you, you, yes. you, sports agent days, friends with his, friends, friends with his agent. Uh, we tried to do business together for years, and then um, after COVID, COVID changed our model business, of course. But um, yeah. you know, during that process, but when it started, you know, I opened my first one. Six months later, I opened my second one, and then I, uh, six months after that, I opened three and four, one month apart. So my first twelve and a half months, I had four stores. And were those yours, self funded? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. So these are all self funded. All self funded. Um, and then when, at what point did you figure, oh, wait a minute, or did somebody say, hey, you should franchise this? Well, so franchising, no, I was never going to franchise. And, and why never. not? Well, I, didn't, I think I know why, but. I was afraid of winners and losers. I didn't want uh, certain people to win, certain people to lose. I knew nothing about franchising. I was like, I'm just going to do this myself. Um, and I was self-funding. And so this guy, Jake, a friend of mine's son, one of my best friend's sons, built my first store, Was helped me build my first store. And. I realized in order to build and scale, I needed to bring down the cost of building. And so being a serial entrepreneur, I was like, I'll just start my own construction company just to build out my own stores. And, and so, sorry to cut you off, but 300 grand, Yep. that was because the build-out was so expensive? Mm-hmm. Really? Why was the build-out that expensive? Just because the kitchen and the way to make it? Kitchen, make it, commercial, you have to get, you know. Uh, Certain licensing? Not licensing, but you have to put in wet walls, you have to put in, mm. uh, bring in copper plumbing, you want to change the towel, you have your look and feel, you have to do, okay. uh, you have to, you know, basically break down what was there before and rebuild right. what, right. what right. you need. Uh, equipment, and just things cost money. 
and um, it was a little less than three hundred. It was like two eighty five. And, and how was your negotiating with your with your landlords? Were you able to start getting most of it covered? No, no. Uh, I, number one, I didn't even know that was a thing when yes. I started. It okay. took me like three leases before I realized. Wait, they're going to give me yes. money to open Ti Ti. I I didn't know. I'd never owned a brick and mortar before. Yeah. So for me, this was all new. Tenant improvements, by the way. You yes. get tenant improvement money up front, plus free rent on the back end, rent abatement. The catch, though, is they amortize that into the lease. Correct. So you are paying for it. You're just spreading it out over the life of the lease. Yeah. So you get a higher rent if you do those things, um, which might make sense if you don't have the upfront capital. Right. So right. Exactly. Pros and cons. But I started my own construction company. So I hired Jake and said, hey, you're going to be the head of my, my company. It's called WeBuild, and we're going to build out Everbulls. And I was just like, I don't need to make money doing it. I just need to reduce the cost to open. So 285 became 250, became 220, became 175, became 150, became 120. Fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. And so um, after four stores, a local restaurateur, David Cohn, I met him and from Cohn Restaurant Group. And um, I had a bunch of smaller people, friends, like not big restaurant people. When I say smaller, I don't mean smaller. I just mean they don't own a big restaurant chain, uh, want to make investments. And when David offered to invest, you know, now I realized I was going to get some restaurant experience along with the money. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do a round now. So I put a bunch of checks together from people who were interested and raised my first tranche of cash after store four. Um, opened up to 17 stores corporately and, uh, in about just under two years or two and a half years. And things were going wonderful. We build was building them all. Um, and then a big private equity firm out of Toronto called Surya Private Equity knocked on my door and... They were looking at investing one of my competitors and they'd found us through the competitor due diligence. Excuse me. And he said, you should franchise this business. And I was like, I'm never franchising this business. And he's a big franchise private equity group. Yeah. And in long story short, he ended up making a, a $3 million investment at a very nice $30 million valuation way ahead of where we were back in 2018, started in 2016. Um, and he told me when he gave me the check, he said, Jeff, I'm giving you this check because I know one day you're going to be smart enough to realize you should franchise this business. And when you do, I want to be part of it. Wow. And so it was awesome. So gave us all the funding we needed. We ended up getting up to 28 corporate locations when COVID hit. So you didn't even franchise at that point. No. He still invested said because yes. I know eventually. I'll be smart. <laughs> you know, this idiot will, will stop being dumb. He, he realized I, I don't I don't have an ego when it comes to the right answer. Yeah. I'll, I'll be the dumbest guy in the room. I want to yeah. surround myself with great people and I want to win. Whatever winning means, we'll do. And he realized I'd figure that out. And so between WeBuild and Everbull, I had a third arm of the company called Unevolved Products where I went down to Brazil in 2017, um, figured out supply chain, started importing my own superfoods, working with locals, really brought down my cost, had proprietary flavors and, and concepts inside the store. So I wasn't just a me too acai bowl shop. A lot of acai bowl shops just buy acai from a importer. Yep. And everyone's using the same stuff. Like think about hamburger joints all selling coca-cola as the drink right um we imported our own and have our own flavors and our own proprietary blends so it's a differentiator so i had these three stools three legs of the stool and um, march 18th happened of 2020 and yeah. that was the day covid you know and obviously at that moment no one knew what was what like that right. was before politics got involved that was before yep. we had vaccines or whether or not it was real or where it came from or anyone's opinion didn't matter at this moment it was just like oh my gosh what what is this yep and shut down. You shut, shut down. Got to shut down. So March 18th, 2020, I laid off over 400 people and closed 28 stores. Toughest day of my professional <sighs> career. Uh, went it's home. funny. I'll never forget that. I got goosebumps. I mean, I'm one, I had two stores, yeah. but I'll never forget that date, March 18th, 2020, where yeah. I sat down with my guys right, right over there. said, sorry, guys. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Until uh, further notice. Yeah, till so, further notice. So how many stores did you close? 28. 28? 28 stores on March 18th, 2020. Did you say to the landlords, hey, can you keep us around? We'll open up later. Or you just said, that's it. We're just we're we, we didn't say anything to landlords. We, uh, Brian, okay. my chief development officer, Brian, came in and he said, Jeff, I don't think it's safe. I don't know if it's safe, but we have a lot of high school and college age workers. And for the sake of their health and safety and just our customers, since we don't know, let's just shut. We'll figure it out. I'm like, okay, like that's the call. We're going to call it. Tough decision, but made the call. Toughest day of your business career ever. For sure. Uh, never had to lay off four. We, we did a couple. 400. Yeah. I, went, I mean, I, I was in tears. I was, I was like, you know, I had investors. I had put my, it, this was a passion project. So this also means a lot. Like I don't fail because fails when you quit, right? Yes. I lose and I learn, but then I pick myself back up and I keep going. This was like, it's over. As far as COVID, I, I didn't know how long it was going to last. Yeah, like yeah. this could be, you know, game changing. And so um, I felt terrible for all my employees. I felt terrible for all my investors. I felt terrible for my customers. I felt terrible for myself. It was just one of those terrible days. And so I do this thing called my five minute pity party. Um, I think this is a mistake we make. We either are a victim for too long or we don't address the emotion and we just try to be tough, tough guys yep. or tough girls. And so I set an alarm on my phone for five minutes. And for five minutes, I scream, cry, curse, feel like a victim. The world's not fair, blah, blah, blah. But I let those emotions out and I do it. And it's real and it's it's raw. Um, but once the alarm goes off, it's over. It's it. Back yeah. to business. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, you can cry forever, but it's it it time to figure it out. So, And the analogy I use there is if I throw somebody in the lake in their clothes while they're on a boat, they're going to first come up and be like, what the hell just happened? But then they're going to start swimming. They're going to pick a direction, right? And yeah. swim. So... Um, the alarm went off. The next day, we, uh, a couple of my executives who weren't employed anymore were getting paid, I called them and said, hey, guys, let's all meet in the office. And most of them showed up. Some didn't. Um, fine. And what are we going to do now? What's next? And we realized we have 28 restaurants. We have tons of superfoods because we import them ourselves. And we have a bunch of customers that need food but are stuck at home. So mm. we spun up a Shopify website and called it Later Bowls. And we started selling bowls that we would deliver to your house from our stores and started selling products that way. And... Drew Brees ended up being one of those customers. And um, wow. so for two years, we tried to work a deal out we never could. And with then, him? Yeah, with him. We just couldn't make it work. And then he started ordering product to his house, and we started delivering food, and he started making them at home and became a big customer. And then when we reopened the stores and then started franchising. So how forward, long did you do that for? And how did you get the word out that you were doing that? Just through, uh, We put flyers on our doors, all 28. Ah, we, okay. we did some advertising on social media. Yep. You know, We told all of our employees, hey, just let everybody know. We did a blast to all of our loyalty members that we had their phone numbers or emails for and just said, hey, if you're at home and you're stuck, go to laterbowls.com and order. We'll deliver tomorrow. Who, how, who was delivering for you? I was delivering. My CEO. You were actually delivering. Oh, I was in the you. truck. Me, driving the Ladies truck. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to this. Listen to this. I drove the truck three days a week. My COO drove the truck two days a week. Listen. And, and my chief development officer drove the truck the other two days. We were Come hand on. packing. There were three of us. That's it. Come on. Yeah. Who else I'm so glad I it? asked that question. Yes. Because I thought you were using Uber or oh, somebody. Oh, no, no, no. We, we, no way. No. We did it ourselves. And then <laughs> we started bringing employees back. Now we had a job for people who needed them. And we were able to bring people back because they were isolated in a van by themselves, dropping boxes. What was the wifey saying at this point, Jeff? Are you like, you're getting, getting. Full, this is 100% truth. Give it to me. One of the days, is the second or third day I was delivering, I couldn't meet the demand. So I gave her half the boxes. Shut she up. was driving in her car. Come she on. No, seriously. And my wife, she she's, uh, raises the kids. She stays home. That's, she yeah. worked that day. And together, we, we dropped food around the county of San Diego. She was down. She was like, baby, I'll do whatever. 
Yeah, we of course. Yeah, yeah. You know, when there's water, when there's water on the boat, get the water off the boat. Yeah. You know, like there's no time for titles and egos. I mean, this here's is- millions and millions and millions of dollars in his career, business, 28 locations, 400 employees, and he hops in the truck to deliver his own as- acai bowls. Of course, ladies and gentlemen, listen to this. Keep going. Yeah, so we uh, we did that, and then um, <sighs> how long I, before? Did, how long were you doing that before? Because like we reopened all the stores May first, so March 18th to May first was just later bowls. Okay. In that process, I realized I could. I had something here. Yes. And so I was like, you know what? Let me go on QVC. I want to get on QVC. Yeah. So I used relationship capital, going back to the theme of making friends and how powerful it is. And I said, who do we know who's on QVC? So I reached out to one of my investors, Dan. I said, Dan, who can you introduce me to? And he said, I have somebody. He introduced me to them. Um, From there, I got an introduction to a buyer at QVC. I shipped them product. It worked out well. We went on QVC, sold out in seven minutes, um, made made just over a million bucks my first seven minutes on QVC. Come on. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, ended up selling out all 17 times we've been on QVC. We were plant-based product of the year in 2021. So you shipping all over the country now? All over the country. Yes. Who was doing that? It's like a FedEx? Uh, no, no. We had a, a company called Corky's out of... Out of uh, it might have been Philadelphia. Or and they could get it there. We ship to them. They package it. And then they ship on behalf of buyers of QVC. Got it. Okay. Ah, got it. Yeah. So QVC hooked you up with QVC, that. QVC, yeah. That's Dude, all through that. That's all through that? the program. You don't make a ton of money, but you get a lot of exposure. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. Every new customer is a, a, Correct. a lifelong customer. And so once we reopened on May 1st, we realized it was time to franchise. Now you... Now I got smart. And, and going back, think about it, COVID. COVID. As long as you didn't, you know, because it's the best business model we've ever had, a real deal, sure. private appointments. Yep. It's because it, you can either put your tail between your legs, which a lot of business owners did, and woo, woo, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of them were failing anyway. This is a good excuse for them to fold up shop, <laughs> right? Let's let's be frank. But, or you can reinvent. Well, one of my core values and business principles and success. And I wanted you to, hold on, keep going. I wanted you, before we get off yep. here, is to hit us with your five core values. Okay. So you're segueing perfectly. Give it yeah. to me. Well, you want all five or you want the one that- Give me the one. Change ready. And change ready. Yes, which means too often we get stuck in, I. this is the way I do business. And we heard this back when the internet popped. Right. I don't do business on the internet. Okay, Blockbuster. But if you don't- Okay, Blockbuster. You'll be out of business, right? Because <laughs> the thing that is always happening is change. So if you're not ready to reinvent yourself and change your business on the fly when it's demanded, guess what? You lose. Yeah. And so being change ready means you always are prepared no matter what you did yesterday. I'm never franchising. This is my business. I sell out of brick and mortar. One day later, I franchise and I sell out of uh, off the internet and through QVC. It's just what had to happen. And so we went to franchising. Um, We now build every store around the country through WeBuild. Uh, My WeBuild now does third-party stuff. So any brand that is looking to scale a repeatable concept. So now we work with Shaquille O'Neal and Big Chicken. We work with Drew Brees' Stretch Zones. We work with um, a handful of other smaller brands that are emerging concepts that are looking to scale. We we WeBuild builds them all for them. We build all the Everbulls. So all 310 franchises that are opening will be built by us. And our construction fabrication company is, is growing exponentially. Wow. Um, the QVC play, we'll be launching two new products with QVC this year. Uh, we, you know, we did in, just, in the, in the Everbowl family, uh, correct in the Everbowl family. So we have a partnership with them to launch new products and we're a superfood company with them. We were plant-based product of the year with them in 21, their big deal in January, which meant they bought like four and a half million of our product just for the month. Uh, we did, you know, very high seven figures on sales in QVC and all that happened because COVID happened because we were ready to, to follow those, those core values. Right. Yeah. And so, um, in the five core values, my five principles, my success formulas, they're mine. You don't and have to take now, them. Now, are these business or personal or both? both? It's life. These are your top I, five. 
I think okay. it's a formula for success and right. success doesn't okay. mean business. Success could be within relationships. Success can be in business. Success can be your health. This is what I use. You have your own, but yep. number one is make friends. Number two is have fun because if you're not making friends and having fun, you're never going to really do anything important. Number three is take immediate decisive action. When you make a decision, move. So often it's like, yeah, you know, I, I want to do this. And then nothing yeah, happens. Right. Take immediate decisive action. Number four is Kaizen. Get 1% better every day. I don't care if you suck. You know, I'm launching my own podcast, The Jeff Fenster Show. Yeah. I've done hundreds of guest events like this where I'm a guest on a show. It's a lot different being on your side of the mic. Oh, yeah. And I've done, you know, we've now aired, a, or we've now recorded a handful of them. I'm getting better, but I suck. Yeah. And I'm going to get better, right? 1% every day, yeah. each interview, That's right? It. Whatever it is, that doesn't matter. Um, and then the, the so uh, make friends, have fun, immediate decisive action, change ready, or immediate session, Kaizen, and then the last one is change ready, which means when the moment requires, you, you make changes and you start over again. Boom, I'm starting over again. Yep. I'm, I'm now franchising. I'm gonna make friends. I'm gonna have fun. I'm gonna take immediate decisive action. We're franchising. So I ended up selling corp all my corporate stores as franchises immediately, because I had buyers. And we went from no franchise to 100% franchise in a span of three and a half weeks. Wow. And then you Kaizen the process. 1% better every day. Were we good franchisors? No, but we're getting better every day. We set meaningful goals that we can hit on a daily basis and we start to win stack. And by win stacking, yeah, that means you win every day, right? You start stacking wins. Give me some, like, this so simple. Even the teeniest mm -hmm. tiny thing where just- I'll use it for working give out because it it's a good analogy. Yeah. And it's the one I always use. So if you heard this before, sorry. But I'm sitting on the couch, I'm out of shape and I want to get in shape. And I want to run a 5K or a marathon. So I go out and I try to run three miles today and I break my body and I can't move for a week and I quit. Okay, we've all done that. Right. What if today I make that goal? I wanna run a 5K, awesome. Today I put my gym clothes on and I watch Netflix. Can I do that? Yeah. Sure, I can look good watching Netflix today. <laughs> How about tomorrow? I put on my gym clothes and instead of watch, before I watch Netflix, I walk or run to one mailbox. Can I do that? Yeah, cool, mission accomplished. The next day, can I put on my gym clothes and walk or run to two mailboxes? Yeah, I think I can do that. The next day, three mailboxes, four mailboxes, five mailboxes. Every day, one more mailbox. We're win stacking. Each day we've accomplished our goal. We got 1% better. And now we're building habits. Eventually, you're going to feel so good. You're like, you know, I think I can go two mailboxes today. I feel so good. You know, I'm going to go 10 mailboxes today. And then before you know it, six months, three months, a year goes by. You're now running 5Ks. You're in shape. And you accomplished your dream and you're successful. Boom. Success happened because you set micro goals and you kaizen it mm -hmm. and you started win stacking your way to do it. It's just, we start where, oh my God, I'm not in shape and I need to be, or right. I'm starting a company, I need to be a millionaire tomorrow. You're not gonna be, it's no. just too hard, right? So start in a way that allows you to get there and we get there through repeatable processes. And I lean on my formulas. I mean, it's just the way I do it. Like, will I do something? I, I, I weigh what, I, what the, uh, you know, the opportunity is against those core values. Well, am I going to make friends with somebody? Am I going to have fun doing it? Can I take immediate, if I say yes, I'm going to take immediate decisive action. Yes, I'm in. No, I'm not in. Yes, I'm going to, I'm going to buy this thing or I'm going to invest in this thing. Like with Neil, I'm going to invest 150K. I'll write you the check, period. Doesn't matter, right? Yes, we're closing our doors March 18th, 2020. Immediate action, then change. Yep. And those things work for me. And it's really worked across all the different companies I've started. It works well in relationships. It works well in health and wellness. Now you can make your own. Those are my core values. They work for me, but you, everyone should have their own. Everyone should have their, their blue, uh, their, uh, blueprint because when times are good, it's easy, but right. when you're under duress, 
that's where you fall back on whatever that is. And so when I don't know what to do, I go back to my core values, my success formula. And that's what it's all about for me. And I'm assuming your employees or everybody in your company knows the core values. So my company has five core values as well. Make friends and have fun are the first two. Kaizen is one of them. Okay. Um, but we have, we instead of immediate decisive action with them, it's integrity because that's very important in an employment yes. environment. Yeah, 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 I, I yeah. need everybody to act with integrity. Yep. They don't all need to make immediate decisive action. Uh, right. That's for more of the leadership. Um, but yes, we have our what core are, values. What are the other ones for the company? Still Kaizen. Okay, still. Okay. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, and then instead of change ready, it's be remarkable. Be remarkable. Yes. That's right, because I remember that one. Yeah, we so speaking. if you're going to do something, why we don't need to be perfect, but we need to be remarkable. And in the process of trying to be the best version of yourself and remarkable, that's all I can ask. I love. It. How about the family? Are the family aware of the? Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Yes. I. I'm, they. They roll their eyes because they're my kids. Of you course. Know? You know when dad says things, it's just not the same. Um, if you said it, it'd be like, oh my god, it was so profound. Oh yeah, this guy JD. He, he's so smart. Daddy, he's great. Dude, you should listen to JD, man. He nailed it. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I said the same thing to you only a million times, but that's fine. Um, oh my. God. I was a kid once and didn't listen to mom and dad. So. Oh, I Jeff. Jeff, this is uh, dude. I'm so fired up right now, like to just. Like my, my wheels the whole time you're speaking are like, are like going, starting businesses, connecting more with the people that I know in my life, how I'm going to connect people to you. Like my mind's going there this whole time. And I'm like, man, I guess I can, I could connect him with this guy and this guy. <laughs> it works, man. Yes. It works. Just make friends. It's amazing how amazing the world becomes and how many doors open. You know, my friends joke and say, fence your luck. And yeah. I, I don't believe I'm more lucky no, or less lucky. not at all. It's what you put your attention and intention to ends up being luck. And I just put a lot of rods in the water. Yeah. If I'm going to be on a boat fishing, I'm not showing up with one rod. Why? I'm showing up with a thousand rods. And I'm going to have them all dangling there. So the fish is going to eat mine because it was a dumb fish and there was just no more, no more options. It's I, that simple. It's, it's formula. It's Make formula. it work for you. And if you take the luck out of it, you'll be successful. Because we all have the same amount of unlucky shit happen. You know, oh, poor COVID, poor me. Yes, poor COVID, poor me. But so what? Yeah. Right? I interviewed this guy, and I, I can't get him out of my head, uh, Mason Sawyer. So everyone should check him out. But he's got a podcast called The 1090 Rule. Mm -hmm. And I can't get this thing out of my head since I've talked to him. And it's, it's weird because I, I talk to a lot of people, and very rarely does something sink in me this much. But life is 10% what happens to you and 90% what you're going to do about right. it. Right. And that's what his whole show's about. Um, and I, we don't need to get into his story, yeah. but it's incredible. But it's so true. It's so true. It's so true. You know, like, don't be a victim. And if you did have something bad happen to you, give the emotion the moment it needs. Just don't let it linger. Like, if five minutes isn't enough, do an hour. Do a day. But don't do weeks, months, and years. Because so often we stay a victim for too long. And you can't get ahead if you're still stuck yesterday. The problem is our society, the way it's all set up, programming, media, is it's all... It's all uh, inhibiting victimhood. Oh, for sure. And all of it. And people think it's hard. Change is hard. Oh, I can't do that. It's hard. You know what? Choose your heart. Choose your heart. Because living the life you don't want right. is hard. Really hard. And that's forever. Yeah. And I'd rather try and fail a hundred times to get what I do want than to never have a chance to do what I want because it's too hard. Choose your heart. You know, I mean, I've been blown away since I've created this mindset over the course of my life that when I've witnessed friends and people and acquaintances adopt more of a positive mindset mm -hmm. and one that is one of abundance and how they've now start to clearly define success, it's amazing to watch and be a witness to the growth. 
and the achievements. And all of a sudden it's like, no, you know, the difference between the successful and unsuccessful is not talent. It's not skill. It's not luck. It's just the daily habits. It's how they approach those issues. It's what they think about on a daily basis. And so if you're listening to this and you're like, shit, I need to be successful, clearly define a core value system for yourself. Yeah, that says start there. A success formula, something that you believe you can do. And if you don't have one, use mine until you make yours own. Make yours up. I don't care. Doesn't matter to me. Start there, right? Start there. One of my top ones, faith. That's faith one of my is, top ones. Absolutely. And faith. That's a huge one. Huge. Huge. Especially in entrepreneurship. Hundred It's all faith. It's all faith. It's all <laughs> it's literally all faith. Yes. It's the scene from uh uh Indiana Jones when he's walking off and there's no you can't see the bridge and you just have to take the step. Yes. And you have to hope yes. that it's gonna be there. Hope that it's gonna be there once your foot comes down. Correct. Our whole thing is faith. Yes. Everything. Yeah. Start there, right? Start there. And then, uh, and then, and then your surroundings change who you're surrounding yourself with. Yeah. And the way you do that is by making friends. That's right. It starts with step, uh, success formula, rule one, core value one, make friends. You're going to be in the world today. When you're in the grocery store, or you're at the restaurant, test yourself, make a conversation with the person behind the register for 10 seconds, 10 seconds, find one. And what do I say? And I teach this on my course again, reach out to me. I'll give it to you for free. Cost you no money here. Or you can buy my book in a couple months. Which is fine yes. too. Yes. yes, please. Um but find something about them. Everyone's wearing a watch, a piece of jewelry, has a hoodie or a sweatshirt or a hat on, some cool shoes. Oh my god, those are cool shoes. Where'd you get them? I love your watch. What kind of watch yeah. is that? If they have a kid, ask them about their kid. Everyone loves talking about everybody. Their kids, right? Hey, cool. that's an awesome necklace. Where did you pick that up? What does that mean to you, that tattoo? Find something Anything. about them. Identify a point about the human being in front of you and ask them about themselves. This is great. And from that one little conversation, they will say something, and then that's it. And do that. That's your 1% today. That's it. That's and it. And start doing it with everybody you meet. And before long, people are like, dude, that guy's really cool, or that girl's really cool. Hey, Jeff, every time you go to that restaurant, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Bob, Bill, Sally, Tim, doesn't matter, right? And then who you surround yourself with starts to grow. And then all of a sudden, it's like, hey, I'm going to this entrepreneurship event, Jeff. Do you want to come? Who's there? I don't know. I don't care. Cool. I'm in. Yeah. I show up. Now I get to meet entrepreneurs, right? Hey, you should, I loved hearing you speak at this thing. You should come speak at this thing. Sure. That's how we met. You heard me speak. That's you it. invited me to come to your podcast. I get to come. I got to go into your facility. Now I know where to get my bed. Yeah. Right? I'm not leaving without a pillow. Oh, yeah. You know? There we so, go. Hey. 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 So Dude, it's all about that. This we could go. We could literally do the whole hot, a whole podcast on this topic and sure. sit here and swap stories of how, like, just how you and I met. Yeah. So I went with Colin. I was sitting next to Colin. You were his guest at. Uh, no, no. It was first when we saw you at Pathfinder speaking. But we didn't meet. No. We we I saw you speaking at Pathfinder. Yeah. And and, and are you at that point you by the way you were already I said okay he's on my list mm -hmm. you went on my list so he's coming on the podcast. And then when I sat next to you at Twisted with you were with Colin. Yes, he invited me as a guest to, and, a, and your your daughter was uh, correct dancing. In That's it. right. And I was sitting next to Colin, so I I had front, we didn't plan that by the way. I had front row seats, and I texted, "Where are you sitting?" And we happened to be sitting right next to each other. That's right. No such thing as a coincidence, That's right? Correct. God has a plan. And then when I saw you, I'm like, "Ooh, there it is." Mm -hmm. Now he's coming on the podcast. <laughs> I said that because I knew it was going to happen. Sure. But I thought, okay, let me just, how's it going to happen? And then Colin, boom, bing, we reach out, and now here we are. Yep. Jeff, uh, I would love to keep going, but I know you're on the clock and you got to roll. Um, are you good over there, Jerry? Yeah. Jerry, okay. So you got to roll, right? Yes, sir.
Sorry. Okay, so it's okay. Uh, normally, I'd want to keep firing well, away here. We'll have to do a, a version two. It's we'll, we'll do a two point oh, two point oh, uh, and then I'll come on. I'll come on yours if you, if you'll have me. Of course, it's weird for me to be interviewed. By the way, well, I've been on a, I've been on a few so far, yep. uh, three or four at this point. Because since I've done this, people want me on theirs. So it's interesting to be on the other side. Sure. I love this side. <laughs> like, I'm learning your side. Yeah, I just, this side I'm comfortable. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're genuinely the bottom line is the what you, the way that you carry your life. The when you meet people, you just you just do it on a microphone now. Mm-hmm. That's what you're doing. Yes. And just getting in, digging in, finding out about them. You're, you're, you're already, you know, that's what you do. Mm-hmm. It's in you. Now it's just a matter of realizing, okay, I've got a headset. I've got a mic. I'm being filmed. So yeah. it's kind of weird at first. Yeah, it is. Because normally you're used to doing well, it just out I, in the- I find when I'm on your side, I, I end up being a listener. Like I'm engaged and I'm yeah. listening and I'm like, oh my God, I got to ask questions. Yeah. Like I, I'm waiting for someone else to ask the question because I'm just interested. Yeah. Like I'm like listening to this person talk. I'm like... That's so fascinating, yeah. you know. And then I'm like, oh, oh, wait, wait, wait I got to ask another question. I, I have to run this thing. Yeah. Oh, that's great, so, dude. I'll get, Jeff, I'll get over that. Jeff, I can't thank you enough. It's been an absolute honor. I can't even begin to tell you how motivated and how fi- I'm already motivated, but how fired up you just made me about uh, just what to where we're going next with our business. We're launching our online company. The people that we're connected with. Some reason I'm just telling you right now. I know that you and I. I'm telling you right now. We're gonna do something together in the future i don't know what it is but i know that it's going to happen i can feel it so something happened there something you said tonight and i said we're going to be doing something (laughs) you know i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna bring you so much value they're gonna say all right jd you're gonna throw me (laughs) you're gonna throw me a bone well we'll we'll race to see who does what first (laughs) (laughs) nice jeff again jeff fencer ladies and gentlemen we're gonna put up all his credentials uh on his bio where you can contact him find his book follow his podcast jeff can't thank you enough bro uh real deal talk that's a wrap Uh, outstanding bro appreciate it